Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. In our sermon series, Trending, we are talking about trending topics within our news media that really strike a chord with people in their hearts. The way we follow news media in our world today is by how many people are reading and sharing about a particular topic on social media. I'll be picking up on these trending topics and pulling them out to discuss how God's Spirit is operating through these events in our world. I hope you enjoy. So we're going to read from John 14, 1 through 7, which are familiar words to many of you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself to the place where I am, there that you may be there also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a continuation of what we were reading just now from John 14. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact will do works, greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. So we got to start off. It's a holiday today, isn't it? Something important going on. Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day for all of you who are here. It's great to see you here with the important women in your lives. What I always appreciate is that all of the important women in your your lives actually force you to come to church on Sunday (laughs) because that's the way they want you to appreciate Mother's Day. So I appreciate that. If you haven't been here, we've been doing a sermon series called Trending. And this sermon series, it's talking about the various news media topics and events that are trending on social media. So each week we're looking at these topics and we're trying to explore the various ways that we see God working through these topics. We believe that God is literally in everything. God's spirit is everywhere. And so we want to understand what God is saying to us through these things and how God is working through these events. Before we get into our trending topic for today, though, we need to turn to our scripture. So our scripture this morning comes from John 14. This is one of the most famous verses in all of the Gospel of John. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places or rooms. If it were 
not so what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? We often read this scripture at funerals. It is a scripture of comfort to those who have lost a loved one. And the idea behind this scripture is that there's a room or a place in heaven for everyone. Compared to our earthly homes that have physical limitations where you can only fit so many people inside, heaven does not have the same restrictions. And so the reason why this is comforting to people is because what it says is that God is not going to treat us the way that we tend to treat other people. Because aren't we quite discriminating with who we're going to allow into our homes? We just don't let anybody inside. And even the people who we let inside, we only want them to stay for a short period of time. Am I right, moms? You want your children to go out into the world. You're 45 years old. Go. Do something with yourself. Get out there. Now, this scripture is a wonderful scripture because it speaks to God's universal love for humanity. And it isn't a wonderful thing to think that God has prepared a special place in heaven for every single one of us. I love that. I think that's a wonderful thing. The unfortunate aspect of this text, though, is that this proclamation of universal love is followed up by one of the most restrictive statements in the entire New Testament. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So putting these two together, he's basically saying, there's a dwelling place in heaven for you as long as you're one of Jesus' people. But if you're not one of Jesus' people, when you get to the house, you're going to find a sign that says, no vacancy. <laughs> not welcome inside. John is famous for pairing together these types of contradictory statements. So you'll have Jesus, he'll come out and he'll say how great God's love is for humanity, only to have it followed up by a statement of the only way to access that love is to go through Jesus. So why does John use this bait-and-switch tactic on us? Well, I talked about last week how John's gospel is a little bit of a propaganda piece for trying to convince the Jews in the synagogue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I know that some of you in here might be thinking that propaganda piece is a strong word. It's not. Go back and listen to my sermon from last week. If you don't know what I'm talking about, that sermon describes why I use that term. And it's appropriate for John's Gospel. So I want you to imagine for a moment that you're a Jew. You're living in the first century. You don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. You're just a normal, average Jew. And you hear this text it's being read to you, and you come to this part where it says, in my Father's house there are many dwelling places. Oh, that's nice. Okay. So, basically that means everybody's welcome. But then you get to this next part where it says that if you want to get access to that dwelling place, you've got to go through Jesus. You have to be a follower of His way. You have to believe in His truth. And you have to be reborn into His life. So, the implication of this text is that if you don't go through Jesus, you will be rejected by God. And of course, what does that mean if you're going to be rejected by God? What happens to you in the afterlife? You end up in hell. Now, I don't know how many of you in here are worried about going to hell. I assume that most of you, that's probably pretty low on your priority list of worries that you think about often. But here's something you need to appreciate. Is that during the first century, this concept of what happens when you die, it was on people's minds all the time. And the reason why is because people back then, they didn't live as long as we live today. 
Average person today in America lives about 78 years, give or take. 78 years. So, back then, if you were fortunate enough to make it out of childhood, you would live about 30 to 40 years. That's about the range you're looking at. I'm 37. That means I'd be coming to the end of my life. And so what you have to appreciate is that because you didn't live very long, death was always on your mind. Death was a pervasive part of the human experience prior to the advent of modern medicine. Let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. So let's say, for example, that you made it to the age of five back in the first century. At the age of five, you would have experienced at least two deaths of your immediate family, usually younger brothers and sisters who didn't make it to where you are. They died from some disease or an infection. And three members of your extended family. By the age of 12, that number would have nearly tripled so that you would have experienced close to 15 deaths of people with whom you were close. And these deaths, they didn't happen in a hospital or a nursing home. They happened right in the very home in which you live, sometimes in the very bed in which you slept. So death was everywhere. And you thought about it all the time. And so these people, they're thinking about what happens when I die. Now, let's add a little bit more to complicate this. If you're living in the first century and you're Jewish, you happen to be living at a very interesting time. Because for most of the history of Judaism, they didn't believe in an afterlife. They just believed that when you die, you disappear, you're gone. That's it. It's over. But then about 300 years before Jesus was born, this idea of an afterlife, it started to creep in to the Jewish religion. So that by the time you get to 90 AD, which is when this Gospel of John was written that we read today, there's all these competing theories as to what happens when you die. And of course, everybody believes that their theory is correct. So even though we may not be all that convinced by John's scare tactics, the fact is, is that they could have been. Now last week we talked about how John uses a lot of black and white type of arguments. He's like, you're with me, you're against me. My way or the highway. And what did we talk about? We said that when people throw that kind of stuff out there, are we usually convinced? No. When somebody says it's my way or the highway, you say, hey, go your way. I'll see you later. I'm going to go my way. Right? Well, there's another side to this. There's something going on in the background of John's Gospel that I couldn't talk about last week because I didn't have time. But I'm going to talk about it today because the nuance of this is so important for you to appreciate. So, when we hear that text, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. We often read that thinking about how that impacts us as an individual, right? So individually, what does this mean for me? But the fact is you have to realize that the way we think today is not the way they thought back then. We live in the most individualistic society in the history of the world. Back then in first century, they were a very communal society. So if you're reading about this, you're actually thinking, well, this is not just going to affect me. How is this going to impact my family? So imagine it. You're a Jew, right? You're there. You're reading this. You're hearing it. And you hear the only way you can get to God is through Jesus. So you're thinking about your parents, who are probably dead. And you're thinking about how, what's going to happen to them? Do they have a dwelling place in heaven with God? Now, what's the modern American 
evangelical answer to that question. And we are not modern American evangelical, just so that we're clear in this church. I'm just asking, what is their answer to that question? Because they represent a large majority of Christians in America. Their answer to that question is, can your parents go to heaven? No, they cannot. Because if they did not believe in Jesus during their lifetime, sorry, nothing God can do for you, you're out. But here is a little known fact about first century Christianity. In the first century, the Christians thought that your belief not only had the ability to save you, but it could also save your family. Now, if you don't believe me, let's take a look at the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, there's this scripture right here. And this scripture basically takes place where uh, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. There's this earthquake. It opens up all the doors. And the jailer's about to kill himself because he's like, oh, all these prisoners are going to escape. They're going to kill me anyway. I might as well just end it now. And so the prisoners, Paul and Silas, they don't escape. So the jailer says, call for lights. And rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. You and your household. So do you notice how Paul is explaining who's going to be saved? Who is it? You and your household. So by this one jailer believing in Jesus, he ends up saving everybody who's in his house, whether they believe it or not. Pretty good deal, right? Not bad. But it could be even deeper than that. Because the word for household in Greek is this word oikos. And it has this connotation of being inclusive of all the members that make up your family, both now and in the past. Now, you don't know. It's all based on the way it's used, whether they're talking about people in the past. But potentially, what this verse is saying is that your belief has the ability to affect the salvation of your dead relatives. So if you're sitting there and you're wondering, does my family, do my parents, do they have a place in heaven? Ah, well, if you believe, now they do. So, you're a Jew. You're in the first century. And you don't know what's going to happen when you die. I mean, you all know what happens when you die today too, right? Because, I mean, we figure that out. But... They don't know what happens when they die. So they sit there and they say, okay, if I believe in Jesus, then what I know is it saves me, saves my family, and possibly even my dead relatives. You could see how that argument might have been kind of appealing, right? Now, if you ask me, the core teaching of John 14 is this, that God wants to be a part of our lives now and when we die. And more importantly, you don't need to worry about the fate of your dead relatives. For you to sit there and stress out about whether or not your parents or any member of your family is being taken care of by God, waste of your time. Because remember, your faith not only covers you, but your family. So this is what I was looking for on social media. I got on there and I thought, okay, here's my theme. My theme is, I'm looking for how the faith of one person has the ability to save the rest of the family. And I thought, I'm not going to find anything that's going to match this theme. Like nothing. And I get on there, and amazingly, it's where the Spirit leads, right? Right at the top of the feed, was a story 
about how Prince Harry, who is Princess Diana's son, admitted to the press that he had sought counseling because he had never really dealt with his mother's death. Now, just so we're on the same page, Princess Diana, she died in a car accident in August of 1997. Harry was 12 at the time. It's hard for any 12-year-old to lose their mom. But when your mom happens to be one of the most photographed people in the world, I think that it makes it even harder because her death is a very public affair. So his way of dealing with this was that he just decided he was never going to think about his mom. He just put it out of his mind. He wasn't even going to consider her. Every time he felt grief or pain, he just stuffed it down inside, and he was able to exist that way for about 20 years. But one thing I have learned from my time as a pastor, I haven't learned that much, but this one thing I have learned, which is that when a traumatic event happens to you, like the death of a loved one, it stays with you. You can't will it away. You can't pretend like it doesn't exist because you have one of two choices. You are either going to deal with that traumatic event in a constructive way, or it's going to manifest itself in you in very negative ways. So because Prince Harry decided that he was going to not think about his mom, what that meant was is he had to cut himself off emotionally. He literally shut himself down to the point where he was just numb. He felt nothing. Now, if you've ever met someone who's done this, and lots of people do this, by the way, a lot of people shut themselves down emotionally as a coping mechanism. If you've met somebody like this, then the only way they can feel is through things in the external world. So it's through things like materialism, it's sexual activity, it's substances like drugs and alcohol. These things give you feelings, so you start to want them and need them because that's the only way you can feel. And so what happened to Harry was that his life started to spiral out of control. And thankfully, his brother, Prince William, came to him and said, look, man, this is not good. You are headed down a path, and I don't know if you're going to make it. So you need to do something to change course. And then he said something very important to him. He said, it's okay to talk to people about your problems. You don't have to carry them all yourself. I have faith in you that you can overcome this and that you're going to be a better person on the other side of it. I want you to listen to this uh, interview that he had with a reporter about this very issue. So I want you to listen to what Harry has to say about it. I've got so many questions. I mean, do you have experience with mental health issues? I can safely say that losing my mum at the age of 12 and therefore shutting down all of my emotions for the last 20 years has had a, a, a quite serious effect on, on not only my personal life, but also my work as well. My way of dealing with it was refusing to ever think about my mum because why, why would that help? It's yeah. only going to make you sad. It's not going to bring her back all of a sudden, all of this grief that I'd never processed started to come to the forefront. I was like, there's actually a lot of stuff here I need to deal with. It was 20 years of, of, of not thinking about it and then two years of total chaos. It's a fascinating process for me that I've been through, not just personally, but all of the people that I get to meet. Mm. Um, so fortunate to get to meet these people who have literally turned their lives around. And it's all part of a conversation, being able to talk to a brother, a sister, a parent, a colleague, or a complete stranger. Mm -hmm. And as I'm sure you know, some of the best 
or the easiest people to speak to is a is a, is a shrink or whoever I know the mm. Americans call them shrinks. Yeah. Someone you've never met before. You sit down on the sofa and say, "Listen, I don't actually need your advice. Can you just listen? Just listen to me." And you just let it all rip. And you've done that. Have you? I've done that a couple of times. <laughs> I'm not more surprised. than a couple of times. <laughs> but it's great. So think about it for a second. You have the faith of one person, Prince William, who goes out and saves his brother Harry and gets him help. And thankfully, Harry was willing to listen and hear it. I know you all know people who really need help, but they're not in a place where they can hear it. They're not in a place where they can accept that help. But thankfully, he was. And as a result of all of this, Prince William, Prince Harry, they're putting all of their charity efforts behind a campaign called Heads Together, which is trying to shed light on how so many people suffer in silence through their mental health struggles. And the more I read about this, the more impressed I am with what they've done. Because if the whole theme of this morning is how the faith of one person can save the rest of the family, then they've gone way beyond that. This is rippled way beyond that. Because you have William who saves Harry, and then Harry comes out, and they together have made a huge impact on their communities there in England and around the world. And this is very inspiring for me because I've told you all in the past, I spent a year and a half working at a psychiatric institution and I personally have struggled with depression as well. And I can tell you that mental illness, it is one of the most challenging types of diseases because unlike a virus or cancer or a bacterial infection, there are no physical symptoms. You're not going to be coughing or have a runny nose. You're not going to have a fever or dilated pupils, none of that stuff. It's all happening in your mind, and it's very hard for the people around you to understand why you can't just snap out of it. And of course, there's also a stigma that comes with it. So a lot of people are very reluctant to admit that they have a problem and go seek help. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, well, good for Harry, I'm glad he did that. But you have to realize this is a big deal. Because by this guy going out and saying this publicly, he has helped to lessen the stigma around mental illness. This guy's a prince. Think about that for a second. He's been handed literally everything in life that a person could possibly want or need. And if this guy admits that he deals with depression and mental illness, then that gives permission to others to stand up and say, yeah, I'm suffering from that as well. And the early signs of this have been quite promising because a lot of people as a result of this have come out of the shadows and said, yes, this is a problem that I deal with personally and it's because of Harry that I'm talking about it. And so as we sit here today and talk about how the faith of one person can save the rest of the family, I really believe that it's incumbent upon me as your pastor to have a conversation with you, our church family, about this very topic. Which is to say that if you are struggling with depression, if you are struggling with anxiety, if you are dealing with something that is making it hard for you to live your life the way you want to, please come and see me. This is an area where I have a lot of experience, both personally and professionally. When you come to me, it's totally confidential. I will not tell anybody that you're with me. And I have resources. I have people who I can go to that I can help you find those people who you need to work through these issues. I can tell you from experience, it is a horrible thing to be a prisoner of your own mind. And sometimes you need a professional to help you break 
out of that prison. So today, many of you are going to go out from here, and you're going to have lunch with those important women in your life. If you're not, you need to go make plans right now, okay, so you can go out and make sure that that happens. It's important that you do something like that. When you go out, you're celebrating what these women have done for you in your life, the relationships that they've helped you form, the way they've helped you grow. And these women did this for you because they love you, they care for you, and they want you to thrive. If you are struggling in the way I just spoke of, please talk to them about that. And if you don't feel comfortable about that, talking to them, come talk to me. Because the fact is, there's certain points in our lives where we all need help, but you have to be willing to reach out. And if you take nothing else away from this today, in the same way that your mother, your grandmother, your sister, your girlfriend, whoever it is in your life, the important woman who has made your life what it is today, in the same way that they love and care for you and want you to thrive, I hope that you understand that that's what God wants for you as well. God loves you. God cares for you. God wants you to thrive. And so don't be scared if you don't know what the next step is in your life, if you don't know what's happening, if you feel like you don't know where to go next. Because if you're willing to take just a small leap of faith and ask for help, you never know how many people you might end up saving in the process. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.